Welcome to I'm Game with Fred Croner. This week you get to, or maybe have to is the correct expression, listen to me talk for a little while. I um, wanted to talk about basketball, high school basketball, and go back a little bit in time to when there used to be just two classes. Well, actually before that, uh, starting back in 1910 when the IHSA first started doing a basketball tournament, it was a one-class tournament, and it was that way through 1971. And then uh, there was a lot of uh, people said that the class needed to expand, needed to be more than just a one-class tournament. So they expanded, expanded to two classes, starting with the 1971-72 school year. And what they did at that time, uh, eight teams would qualify for state. So you would have the quarterfinals uh, on one day, on Friday, in each class. And then you would have the uh, semifinals and finals on the Saturday of the, of the following day. And you would have uh, the, the tournament set up that way. There were, there were obvious disadvantages to that. One of the disadvantages was you would have to potentially travel from one end of the state, uh, Chicago or East St. Louis, uh, come up to, at that time, the tournament was in Champaign, which it is back to now, which we will get to in a little while. Um, but you would come to Champaign, you would come to the Assembly Hall, you would play one game, and then you would have to leave. Um, and, you know, that, so that was a lot of traveling, both for the teams and the fans. And I think that was... Uh, a little bit concerning for others. And, and one of the big concerns, I think, is you, you think about your, your goal is to win a championship, a state championship. You want to be as prepared as you can be uh, and everything. And yet the final day of the season, back when it was a two-class tournament, you had your semis and you had your finals on the same day. Semis would be played in the morning and early afternoon, and the championship games would be played at night. And I think a lot of people felt that that was unfair and unjust to have to have that turnaround so quickly and come back for such an important game and have that played on, on the very same day that you do the semifinals. And, you know, gradually, I, I think as people have followed sports in Illinois know, um, there's always been um, a movement to, to add more classes, to, uh, you know, create uh, additional opportunities for kids and teams to make it to the state tournament. And there was the, the four class uh, system was added uh, and that started in, in 1992. And, you know, you, you look at what, what has happened and you say, you know, well, now there's, there's four champions every year. So you've got twice the number of winners is what you used to have. And while that is true, if you look at the big picture, again, going back to when there, it was a two-class system, you brought eight teams to state in Class A, you brought eight teams to state in, in Class 2A. So each year you had 16 boys teams, 16 girls teams at state. So what do you have now with the four-class system in place? You have 1A, 2A, 3A, 4A. And what actually takes place at the state tournament, you have four teams in each of those classes. So you have a total of 16 teams making it to the state tournament, just like you used to have when you had the, uh, the two-class system. So it hasn't really created any new opportunities for kids to make it to state. Uh, what it has done, it has created new state champions um, and I think probably the best thing, the best way you can look at that, it has really, really helped the smaller schools because, you know, the schools that had, you know, 100 kids, 200 kids, you know, you would get the, that occasional school that would break through and, and they would have a great tournament and have success and, and they would be, um, you know, celebrated for their accomplishments. But realistically, those teams were not going to compete 
against the uh, the schools of the Evanstons with 3,000 students, the Chicago Public League. They were not going to compete with those teams year in and year out. So what has happened is, yes, now you have 16 teams at state again, just like you always did. But I think if you look at the enrollments, you will see that it's significantly um, smaller enrollments that are now qualifying for state than what it used to be. And if you look at the, uh, the schools in the state and you know, some people, the, the theory is that the bigger schools have more of the better players, and yet those schools are not as apt to get to state now because in class 4A, again, whether it's the boys tournament or the girls tournament, you're going to have four teams coming to state. And I think in my mind that that's a little unfortunate that, uh, that it has to be that way. And I know that people on the flip side will say, well, you've got more champions this year. So that's, that's a better thing. And I guess you can, you can take that or leave it however you want to look at it, whether that is a good thing or, or not a good thing. Um, personally, I, I liked it just fine when it was a, a two-class system. Um, I think there are some good things that were created with the, uh, the four-class system, again, giving more smaller schools an opportunity uh, to experience that success. So then you, you look at what has, has transpired since the, uh, the four-class system was, was implemented. You would have the, the, the places that would host, and for years that was uh, Illinois State for the girls' tournament, um, until the mid-90s, the boys' tournament was at, uh, at Champaign-Urbana at the um, Assembly Hall slash State Farm Center. Then it got moved over to Peoria, and then a couple of years ago moved back to Champaign. But those host cities were having to set aside their facilities two weeks in a row. Um, the girls' tournament would be a 1A, 2A uh, tournament one weekend, followed by 3A, 4A the following weekend. And then again, the boys' tournament would be the same way after that. So they were setting aside two consecutive weekends, which meant that you know they couldn't have whatever else they might have or, or want at that time, whether it was entertainment, um, whether it was another athletic event. And so I think there were some, some rumblings going on that, uh, again, there needed to be some changes made. And one of the reasons the University of Illinois got back into it uh, they always wanted it. So, I mean, don't, don't uh, mistake that uh, there, there was a lack of interest. They always wanted to get the tournament back. But one reason that the tournament was more appealing to the Champaign-Urbana community was the fact that the ITSA was willing to do the tournament on one weekend. So with just the, the four teams, again, coming to state in each of the four classes, they, they figured that there was a way that that could happen and, and you could get it done on one weekend. You wouldn't have to do the two weekends. So what did they do? They came up with a plan that the, the only way, you obviously couldn't do it with, with a two-day tournament like you used to have. I mean, you would be starting games at six o'clock in the morning, not getting done until midnight. So that was out. So they came up with a three-day tournament, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And while that sounds like it's good in theory, in my mind, you, you have to look at the things that you lose when you gain. And by that, I mean, one of the things that I, I think was so important over the years the IHSA in, I believe it was 1992, in fact, I'm sure it was 1992, created the state three-point shooting contests. And I know some coaches complained about that. They didn't like it. They said, boy, it just distracts. Um, you know, the goal is to, to win and, and succeed as a team, not to showcase individuals. Um, but we all know, I mean, there are, there are schools out there, there are kids out there that play on teams that uh, you know, honestly, even though they might have a goal of winning a regional or winning a sectional, getting to state, um, it's just not realistic. It's not going to happen. And 
you know, for those coaches that didn't like it, I mean, there was never, they were never forced to uh, enter anybody into the three-point contest. And some coaches would just uh, put JV players in it to give them the opportunity. But the bottom line is that there was a three-point shooting contest and a number of kids for, you know, 30 years were, were able to experience that success. They were able to get to the state tournament themselves individually which was something that would not have happened in a lot of cases. Now, there were some teams that would get there and their, their top player or one of their players would be there as well in the contest. So it was not uh, exclusively players that wouldn't have been there otherwise. But if you look at them, the majority are, are ones that would not have gone to state in any other way. So what has happened now, there's no three-point contest. And why is that? Well, the reason it is, you, you've now got a three-day state tournament you're already playing six games on Thursday, six games on Friday, and then your four championship games on Saturday. The only way you could possibly do a three-point tournament now, it would have to be on Saturday. But remember, we now have four classes. So back when they did the, the 1A, 2A, the 3A, 4A on separate weekends, you could bring those kids in. You would have half the number shooting each weekend. To try to do a, a shooting contest now on just one day on Saturday, you'd have to do the prelims and the finals, um, would just be unwieldy. I mean, it's just, it's not possible. And so the IHSA did what was the, the smart thing in terms of if they are going to a, a one weekend tournament, they had to get rid of the, the shooting, uh, three point shooting contest, which again, in, in my mind, that's not something that had to happen. What, why did we have to? Condense. Why did we have to get everything into into one weekend? Well, you know, certainly for one reason, you, you've got the uh, the host communities that you you want to get as many um, communities bidding for the various tournaments as you can and get them interested. And certainly, there's more interest um, when they are able to uh, to run a tournament and not have to commit uh, a lot of time to uh, you know to set aside where they can't have other events. So. In my mind, uh, that was not a good thing. And then another thing that, that takes place now that you've got the three-day tournament, so you've got um, you've got your 1A, you've got your 2A uh, on Thursday. They're playing their semifinal games early in the day in the morning, starting in the morning, playing in the afternoon. And then your evening session, which logically is going to be your session that would attract the most people because the people that uh, you know work until four, work until five, um, if they're not following a particular team are more apt to, to be able to come out and get a ticket and go to an evening session. But what are those evening sessions on Thursday and Friday? Those sessions are now the third place game in those classes. The 1A, 2A on Thursday, the 3A, 4A on Friday. And it just, it doesn't do a lot to encourage the people that, you know, have worked all day to come out to see, you know, unless you're following a particular team again, which is totally understandable, but to, to see those teams uh, play in a third place game, you want to see, um, you know, maybe a, a semifinal game or a game like that, a championship game that, that means a lot more. So the advantage, though, that now you have all your championship games on one day, which, OK, that's fine uh, and that's good. And without the IHSA releasing attendance figures, which uh, they have not done for, for quite a while, you don't know exactly how many people are in the stands for each of the, of the games, and you certainly don't know how many people come and watch all four games in a day. Uh, my personal opinion, I suspect there's not a lot. There are certainly some people that are diehard fans, and they're going to come, and they're going to support it, and they're going to be there. Um, we saw that um, um, 
back, oh, a number of years ago, probably 20 years ago, when uh, there were some local shootouts, either at Parkland College or at the U of I Assembly Hall. And they would start those things around 9.30, maybe 10 o'clock in the morning, and go to about 8 o'clock at night. And there were certainly people that would come to those that would get there for the very first game and then stay all the way through uh, until the final game. Sometimes it was six games in a day. I think they had as many as eight. Uh, usually six or seven was about the max. But uh, you, you've got those people that would, would do that. And, you know, for the shootout, that's a, an entirely different thing because you've got, if you've got eight games, you've got 16 different teams coming in. You've got a lot of high-profile uh, players coming in and a lot of uh, talented underclassmen that are getting on the recruiting list. So you, you've got a lot to uh, look forward to. You've, you've got a reason for wanting to do that. Uh, I'm not sure with the, the way the championship games are spread out, um, and again, you know, you go from your, your 1A to, to your 4A, you, you've got a lot of uh, uh, division in terms of, of the size of the schools. And, and maybe, you know, certainly there are good players at the small schools. But if you look at the uh, recruiting list, you look at where the players are going, the, the majority of the ones that are the, the big time players are going to be uh, in the, the 3A, 4A. And obviously there are, there are clearly exceptions. Uh, you just look here in central Illinois with Ty Pence from St. Joe. Uh, going over to, uh, to Illinois State University. Um, unfortunately, the Spartans uh, didn't make it this year. They, they got beat out in the, in the sectional, which was uh, probably one of the uh, more loaded sectionals, at least in, in Class 2A, uh, that they or, or any school could possibly get into. So I think, in my mind, as, as you look at the, at the changes that, that happened over the years, um, while a lot has changed, a lot really hasn't changed because you, you still have your 16 uh, schools, um, I'm sorry, your eight schools at the, at the state tournament uh, in any given class, uh, the four in, in 1A, the four in 2A, four in 3A, four in 4A. So 16 for the weekend, but, uh, but four in any given class. And that goes back to when they used to do the, uh, the super sectionals. They would do those on a Monday. You would have uh, eight of those. And uh, so those eight winners would all go to state and uh, they would play that state quarterfinal game and they would feel like that, uh, you know, they were part of that. And I think you, you talk to people now that are, are in the super sectional and, you know, they, they obviously appreciate that. But I, I don't know that they feel like they're really part of the state tournament and they're really not part of the state tournament because it's played at a separate site. Um, the statistics in terms of, of what counts as, as your, you know, now your top scores at state, um, that, that's not included in the, uh, in the super sectionals, which at one time uh, it certainly was included. So again, I, I think you, you have to be careful when you, you talk about the progress, you talk about things shifting and changing um, for the better. And I'm not always sure that, that things are for the better. I mean, changes are, are inevitable. Uh, they're going to happen. Uh, you know, you had the, the one class tournament for 62 years and then for, uh, what was it, about 35 years, you, you had a two class tournament until it, uh, it expanded again uh, into the four classes. And yet you've seen that in football. Um, football started with five uh, state championship games. They're, they're up to eight now. Some people think that's not enough, that you need more there. Um, in my mind, you know, more is, is not always better. I think you have to look at the, the quality of the product and you know, you hear administrators, you hear coaches say, you know, we're, we're in this for the kids. Well, if you're truly in it for the kids, why would you promote and encourage things that would not allow as many kids to participate 
in a state tournament event. And by that, again, I go back to the, the three-point shooting contest. I mean, you would have the, uh, the, the qualifiers that would be able to come, and that was a memory that they would have. Their, their name was in the program. They got to shoot on the same court, either between sessions or after a session or before a session. Um, sometimes the preliminary rounds were, were held on Thursday, and then the ones that qualified would come back uh, and shoot a couple of days later on Saturday. So, um, you know, I, I, I guess while change is inevitable, I, I think in my mind, you just have to be careful in terms of, of what you ask for and the kind of changes that, that you make. Staying on the, the topic of basketball, I want to address another issue that uh, has come out, and this is certainly not a, a new issue. I mean, this has been going on for, well, 20 years, probably 30 years, and that is getting to the lack of officials that are involved in, in every sport. And I don't have any, any magic bullet that's going to solve things, but I, I did want to point out something that happened recently in, in Iowa. Um, I don't know the exact schools. I know one of the schools was Des Moines-Lincoln High School, and I believe they were playing a road game, and I'm not sure where that game was at. But the officials working the game had warned the um, administrators from the school at least once, and I think twice, uh, that you know, the, the student section was being too unruly and uh, that they'd about had enough of it. And it continued, and the officials just threw out the entire student section. And while that may seem like a, a dramatic move, because I'm sure if you would go back and look, there were students in that section that probably were not guilty of anything except cheering. Um, but, you know, as an official, you can't be trying to look and pinpoint exactly who it is. It's one thing if, if you have an isolated individual sitting on the front row or uh, something like that, that you can see easily. But you're, as an official, you're, your mind is on the game. And when all you hear are the, the comments coming from one particular section, you just kind of have to lump that section together. And while that was a drastic move, I, I applaud that. And I, I think what, what needs to happen is you need to have more of an emphasis on, on sportsmanship. And when that happens, then you know eventually you're going to get the, the officials that, uh, that don't work for a year or two and then just decide it, it's too much, it, it's not worth it. And one thing that uh, this brings up is in Vermilion County for years now, I think probably back into the 1970s, um, for the fall season and the spring season, they, they've, they've had uh, sportsmanship winners, uh, football, volleyball in the fall, and the, uh, the basketball in, in the winter, both individual and teams. And what this does, you know, you, you look at your, your various awards you can have, you know, your all-conference teams, your all-area teams, your all-state teams, those are going to be based on uh, performance, the kids that get to play, the kids that, uh, that do the absolute best. And if you're just the you know, ninth or 10th player on the basketball team, or if you're you know, a reserve tight end that gets in for seven plays a game in football, um, those awards, th that kind of recognition is going to be far out of your reach. But a sportsmanship award is not out of your reach, not out of anybody's reach. And so I think that is something, first of all, that... Uh, I would like to see expanded, not just to, you know, Vermillion County, but for a lot of, whether it's done on a county basis or a conference base, I would like to see that done and recognize the, the individuals and the teams as well. And, and I think probably I would even go a third category and put the coaches in there too, because uh, a lot of times it's the coaches that kind of, uh, you know, get under the skin of the officials and, 
sometimes officials may let that go a little bit longer than they would, uh, you know, some of the the fans in the stands that are are spouting off and saying some of the things that that they say. Um, but I think that would be a good start right there to to have that happen on a large scale level, and to get that kind of recognition and get that kind of uh, emphasis and publicity out there that. You know, that's the direction that uh, that we want to go as a school. That's the direction we want to go as a conference and, and recognize and, and award those people um, just like you you honor the the all area people, just like you honor the, the all state people and make it, you know, put it up in terms of importance along those levels. And, you know, that's certainly not going to solve all the problems. But I think that if you're looking for a starting point, uh, in my mind, I think that would be a, a real good starting point. Um, because again, I mean, not everybody's is going to be the, the MVP and, um, it's just, it's not realistic, but everybody can display the good sportsmanship. So that would, that would be a great place to, uh, to start before my time is up today. I want to uh, shift over to baseball real quickly. Uh, obviously a lot of changes going on this year at the, at the major league level in terms of the, uh, pitch count that, uh, or not pitch count, but the, the timing between pitches that uh, is going on, the time for a batter to, to get into the box. Um, no de defensive shifts anymore. You've got to have two infielders on the left side, two on the right side. Um, and you can't uh, like move your shortstop over and replace the second baseman, move your second baseman over if you feel like the, the batter is going to hit to the right side of the infield instead of the left. So, you know, Again, what, why tinker with a game like that? I mean, a sport like baseball has so much strategy. And, okay, I get the fact that the, the average game, you know, for what, about 10 or 11 years, I think since 2012 or 13, the average length of games have, has been going up every season. It's well over three hours now. They want to get that down. Um, I understand that. So you, you put in you put in the, the uh, clock on the pitchers. They have basically 15 seconds to uh, throw the ball uh, to the plate. Uh, the clock can be reset if they uh, throw over to first base, but uh, they have a limited number of times they can do that with each batter uh, at, up, up at the plate. I believe it's two times they can do that. Um, uh, 20 seconds, I think, on the on the pitch clock if there is a runner on base that they have to throw the ball. And batters have eight seconds to get into the box. So those things are, are probably good things. Those are going to help speed up the game. But uh, you look at the uh, the defensive shifts, not allowing the defensive shifts. I mean, there's to me, there's a lot of strategy in that. And while it might look funny if you have, you know, basically six fielders on the on the right side of, of the infield slash outfield, um, you know, it's it's up to the uh, the the offensive team to try to take advantage of that. You know, if you got the infielders over there, get the ball down the third baseline, hit the ball into left field, and you know you're going to you're going to change the shifts, you're going to change the strategy in that way, rather than you know implementing a rule that says you've got to do this and you've got to do that. Um, and again, I, I guess I'm just kind of uh, old school on a lot of things, but I'm, I'm certainly not a fan of uh, of the defensive shifts. I think anything you can do to to speed up the game, maybe not anything, but some of the things you can do to speed up a game. Uh, are probably good. And, and um, you know, it's been tested at the minor league level. Uh, so it's not like the major leagues are going to implement something that, uh, you know, they're experimenting with for the first time. I guess I would just say that um, I hope those changes don't come, uh, you know, to the, to the high school and certainly not to the, uh, or the, to the college and certainly not to the high school level. Because um, those, 
people just aren't, uh, you know, the, the quality that, uh, you know, I, I think that would just, especially for pitchers to age, I just don't think that is a good thing to implement. Uh, but I know, again, you know, a lot of things trickle down, you know, the uh, NBA had a three-point shot, the college had it, and then I think it was in 1987-88 school year, uh, it came down to the high school. And now, you know, anybody playing now, probably most everybody coaching now is not knowing anything uh, other than a shot clock in, in basketball because it's been that way for so long. Um, at the time, I remember, I mean, people said it was going to destroy the game. There were some coaches that would just forbid their team from, from shooting three-point shots, and, and other coaches just said, hey, open it up, let's go for it. And, you know, I, I, I you know, think that was probably a good thing to implement. So a lot of times, uh, like I said earlier, changes can be good, and uh, I'm not against changes, but I guess it's just certain things that uh, uh, I'm not necessarily in favor of. Before I close today, I want to give a shout out to uh, some of the uh, area high schools that, uh, that I cover pretty regularly and pretty frequently, uh, Muhammad Seymour, St. Joe Ogden, and uh, Oakwood. And I was putting together a little list of just the number of athletes, the number of seniors from those schools uh, who have already committed to go on next year to, to compete in college in the various sport. And this is certainly not intended to be an all-encompassing inclusive, inclusive list, but just the ones that come to mind offhand. And to me, I mean, it's just amazing how many of those kids there are. Uh, you think of Central Illinois, and you don't think that is necessarily a, a hotbed for uh, recruiters at, at whatever level, whether you're talking uh, Division One or junior college, NAIA, or whatever the case might be. Uh, but just listen to some of the, the ones that have already committed to go on. Uh, starting with Muhammad Seymour uh, in baseball, of course, you have Blake Walters, uh, who's committed to Arizona. Uh, basketball, girls basketball, you have Savannah Ogren, uh, committed to Illinois Central College in, uh, in Peoria. Uh, football, boy, you've got a lot of them there. Kyle Walmer, the, the place kicker to Wisconsin Platteville. Quentin Rogers, the uh, leading receiver of all time for the Bulldogs. Eastern Illinois University, Valiant Walsh. Uh, a very complimentary uh, secondary uh, second receiver heading over to Illinois State. Uh, so those two will likely um, be playing against each other now for three or four years. Um, Wyatt Baum's going to uh, head to Iowa State on a, uh, a preferred walk-on basis. And a couple of kids in track. Robert uh, Byron is going to Coastal Carolina. He's a thrower, state placer last year. And Hayden Godolution uh, to North Central College in Naperville uh, as a runner across country in track. And um, probably there's not a more uh, acclaimed, successful uh, running program, certainly over the last 40 to 50 years, than uh, the North Central College. So that's just uh, a tremendous opportunity. And, you know, you, you look at in recent years, I mean, Gabe Pommier from Muhammad went there, was a national champion. Kyle Nofsinger from Muhammad is there now, uh, is off to a, a good career. I believe he is a sophomore now. Um, so it's not like that, uh, you know, players, athletes from Muhammad Seymour have not gone to that uh, type of a, a program and done well in the past. Uh, looking briefly at, uh, at St. Joe and Oakwood, uh, Oakwood has a couple of baseball players, uh, Travis Tiernan to uh, Dominican University as a pitcher. Um, Dalton Holbeck uh, may not be totally committed yet, but I believe he's looking at Kankakee uh, to continue his baseball career. Um, Addie Wright uh, heading to Quincy University for basketball. Um, St. Joe Ogden, boy, uh, what can you say about their softball program? You look at the, what they have done over the years, uh, 
and I'm talking by years, more like decades, uh, you know, winning regional championships, uh, having teams that are either state placers or cal state caliber teams uh, ranked in the top 20. And again, this year, they've, uh, they've got a very great uh, nucleus, a strong senior class, Shane Imke and Peyton Jones from uh, middle infielders from St. Joe going over to, uh, to Heartland for the softball program there. And uh, uh, Catherine Short, Alicia Acton, uh, uh, Short is a catcher, Acton, a first baseman and pitcher, uh, both heading over to Danbury Community College, which has really uh, improved its program in recent years with Matt and Kelly Cervantes uh, over there uh, with the coaching staff. And then, of course, I mentioned earlier, uh, Ty Pants from St. Joe heading over to Illinois State uh, for basketball. So um, I'm sure there are others, and uh, we will certainly, uh, you know, in the Muhammad Daily and St. Joe Daily, keep track of those and uh, profile them uh, as the opportunity comes up and uh, and uh, give them the, the recognition that uh, that they do, uh, that they uh, duly deserve. I want to thank everybody for listening today. I uh, enjoyed talking to you, and we will do this again. Uh, hopefully, we'll have a, a real guest uh, next week, so you don't have to listen to me drone on. But uh, uh, thank you very much for tuning in, and uh, we look forward to being back again next week.